Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Take a minute and let that settle in. Then consider that those words spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ might be some of the most counter-cultural words ever spoken. First century, 21st century, and every century in between. Society tells us daily that life very much consists in the abundance of possessions. We need more. More money, more stuff, more power, more influence, more comfort, more security. You could even say that the motto of our culture is summed up with that one word. More, more, more. It's the American dream, isn't it? Work hard, get some stuff, enjoy the possibilities. Now let me be clear. I'm not suggesting people shouldn't work hard. Scripture has plenty to say on the importance of a, a good theology of work and the ethic that comes from that. But if our theology of work consists merely in work being a means to the end of having more, stuff, then we've not really begun to reckon with what the scripture says about work. And we risk stepping off the path of following Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be thinking about life on Jesus' terms, don't we? We need to be willing to hear what he has to say, wrestle with what he has to say, and then commit to obeying him if we want to be his followers. And the language that Jesus used in the passage we're looking at today is the language of treasure. That famous statement, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that statement implies some questions, doesn't it? A whole series of questions. Where's your treasure? What's your treasure? Whose is it? What are you chasing after? What are you trying to obtain? And what do you want to do with it when you get it? And all those questions that are implied with Jesus' statement, are really questions about priorities and values, aren't they? What do we prioritize? What do we value the most? More stuff? Or, Jesus asks, the kingdom of God? And when we frame the question like that, we really shouldn't be surprised when we hear Jesus say, where your treasure is, that's where you'll find your heart. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is less concerned with the money 
concerned with our souls. In fact, Jesus doesn't really need our money. It may not seem that way when we do stewardship sermons in church. <laughs> but the reality is, brothers and sisters, Jesus does not need our money. But he does want our hearts. Jesus doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. And that's the point that comes up when this guy comes to Jesus and asks him to act like the probate judge, basically. <laughs> Tell my brother to divvy up the family inheritance and give me my cut. Now, we don't know the circumstances. We don't know if some parents have passed away and how long it's been. And this is probably the younger brother because the older brother in the ancient world was in more of a position of power and authority in these kind of situations. But whatever's going on, this guy's got some beef with his brother and he thinks Jesus can sort it out. And so he comes to Jesus and there's a crowd around and you can maybe, maybe he's trying to put Jesus on the spot or something and you know, he's got him in front of some people, doesn't pull him off to the side, calls him out right there and says, hey, teacher, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. Tell him to give me my cut. And Jesus, it's kind of funny. <laughs> Jesus turns to him and he's not going to play along. Friend, why do you think I care about you and your brother and how you split your inheritance? Who made me judge and arbitrator over you? Do I look like the court of probate? I don't think so. This guy comes with questions about money and inheritance and splitting up who's got what and where they take this part of that. And Jesus isn't really interested in that conversation. He didn't care how they split it up. He immediately, however, goes to questions of the heart, doesn't he? Because he sees this guy is coming out in public asking for somebody to mediate between him and his brother because in his heart is greed. That's where Jesus goes. Who set me to be judge or arbitrator over you? And then he looks to the crowd, verse 15, and said to them, take care. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You see, Jesus doesn't say, hey, yeah, 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 you guys split it up and then both of you tithe. Because <laughs> if they split it up and both of them tithe, then that's, you know, percentages on everybody's cut, right? That's not where he goes with the story, is it? He goes to the heart. Because these guys have nothing to offer Jesus that he needs. And that should be obvious. Because Jesus owns all things. Because Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of God the Father. Because if Jesus wants it, he speaks it and makes it. And it's true for all of us. We don't have anything he needs. There has never been a moment where the Lord Jesus said, what am I going to do without O'Reilly on the, on the job? <laughs> I need him. He's the only one that can do it. 
I promise you the Lord has never said that. And he's never said about any of you either. <laughs> well, the Lord needs nothing that we can offer him. He doesn't need my ingenuity, resources, rhetorical abilities, leadership strategies, insight into anything. He doesn't need any of it. He desperately wants my heart. Now here's the thing. Jesus understands that money and stuff go together with the heart issues. And maybe that's why Jesus talks about money so much. Because he knows an easy way to find out where our hearts are is by looking where we put our treasure. And so he warns this guy. Look, you want to talk about money, I want to talk about your soul. You want to talk about money, I want to talk about your heart. And let me tell you a story to make the point, he says. He tells this parable. A lot of people want to be like the guy in the parable. He's got so much stuff, his barn isn't big enough to store it. If he lived in the 21st century, he probably could have just rented one of those mini storage things. Wouldn't have to build new barns. He could just rent somebody else's space and store his stuff over there. That's how much more is our motto. We get so much stuff, we don't have room for it on our property. We rent somebody else's property to put our stuff. And we'll go back and get it in six years because we need it so badly. <laughs> So Jesus tells a story about this wealthy farmer. And he's, he's in a pickle. He's got a problem. He's got more stuff than he's got space. His fields are plentiful, and his barns are not big enough for all the grain and crop and produce. And so he has to figure out a strategy. He's got, he's got to figure out a plan. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what should I do? This is a, it's a good problem to have, though, isn't it? What should I do? And he doesn't think, well, you know, I've got more than I could ever use, and I live in the first century, century Mediterranean world where, you know, a good percentage of the population is living day to day and starving to death. So maybe I could donate something to the local Methodist church's food bank. That's not where he goes, is it? Instead, he says, I'll just tear down the barns I have and build some bigger ones. And then I'll have somewhere to put my stuff. It reminds me of when I lived in Kentucky. If you ain't seen the Kentucky barns, you ain't seen a barn. In Kentucky, the barns look better than the houses. Because in the barns are horses that are worth more than most of us will ever make in a lifetime. And they're the ones that run in the derbies. Pull out your hat, go have a fun weekend, right? I remember driving those roads, going back and forth between church and seminary and different places and just thinking, wow, I mean, how much could that barn have cost? So if you want to see a fancy barn, 
go to Kentucky. So this guy builds himself a Kentucky barn, and he puts his stuff in it, and he's happy. Thinks he is. I'll store all my things in my barn, and I'll say to myself, you have ample goods laid up for many years. You can retire early. You've made it. Eat, drink, relax, party. Verse 20, God shows up. But God said to him, you fool. <laughs> Two words you do not want God to say to you. Okay? <laughs> Just go ahead and put those on the list of things you don't want the Lord to ever say to you. You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You made a plan. Your plan is not going to play out. You're dying tonight, and all of those barns are for nothing. And Jesus says, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. And we could misread that thinking Jesus wants some money. You know? That's a great time to pass the plate, isn't it? Tell a horrifying story like that about God knocking somebody dead and taking all their stuff. Well, you better put your treasure in the kingdom of heaven. But if we read it that way, we miss the point. Because the point isn't about our stuff. The point is about our hearts. Jesus is asking... Are we going to embody this abundant generosity of God or are we going to hoard as much as we possibly can? Are we going to keep it for ourselves or will we be rich toward God? Will we prioritize His kingdom? Will we prioritize the things He loves? Will our hearts be filled with generosity? God doesn't need our money. He wants our heart. Jesus wants that point to land because he loves us. As the chapter proceeds, we realize that the questions Jesus asks are really questions about the kingdom of God. Don't be afraid, little flock, verse 32. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We get to that word kingdom and we begin to realize that everything boils down to building one of two kingdoms. We'll either be building the kingdom of God or we'll be building our own kingdoms. The difference isn't our stuff. The difference is our hearts. Am I putting my passion and energy into building my kingdom like that foolish farmer with his barns? Or am I prioritizing the kingdom of God? Now, what do we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God? Sometimes the Gospels use the language kingdom of heaven. Sometimes it's kingdom of God. And uh, we kind of sometimes, we see that word heaven and we start thinking... Well, heaven, that's where you go when you die, sweet by and by kind of thing. Um, it's All Saints Day, so we're thinking about that kind of thing. Um, problem is, that's not what Jesus means when he talks about the kingdom of heaven. 
He's not talking about where you go when you die. And that's pretty obvious in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Which we pray together on a weekly basis. Your kingdom come. Let me see if I can get this right. Your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven as it is in heaven. Right? Ah, somebody's bold enough to call out the preacher in the middle of a sermon. That's good. Of course not, right? On earth as it is in heaven. That's what he's all about. So kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God in the Gospels isn't about, you know, going somewhere. It's about God bringing his will to bear in this world. Your kingdom come here in Hope Hall, Alabama. Your will be done here in Hope Hall, Alabama. In us, as your representatives, as your followers, so we can follow you and change the world for your glory. So the kingdom of God is about bringing the good, joyful, holy, lovely, beautiful reign of God, kingship of God, to bear in God's world that he's made. So Jesus says, this is about kingdoms, friend. Which kingdom are we going to build? Are we going to build our kingdom? Are we going to build God's kingdom? Are we going to prioritize a greedy heart? Or are we going to prioritize a generous heart? Because you can't be both at the same time. So what's that look like in our lives and in the lives of Jesus' followers? Well, the topic all the way through is money, isn't it? Guy comes up and says, hey, Jesus, tell him to split up the inheritance. <laughs> We're still in that context. So Jesus goes on. Famous passage, isn't it? What does it look like to build the kingdom? Well, sometimes you got to sell some stuff. Because it's a good reminder to your heart that your life isn't found in the abundance of stuff. Sometimes you got to give some of it away, Jesus says. Prioritize the kingdom. And the mission. And if you do that, you have unfailing treasure in heaven. And that's the sort of thing that thieves can't make off with in the middle of the night. And you will find your heart. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And you see there, Jesus makes the link we've been talking about the whole time. And he says, brothers and sisters, I don't need your money. I want your heart. Thing is, if he has our heart, he's going to wind up with our money too. <laughs> he cares about our hearts. So when we begin talking generosity and stewardship and all those kind of catchwords, we need to keep in mind and in the framework that at the end of the day, it's not just about paying the bills or the preacher. <laughs> it's about the mission. It's about changing the world for the glory of Jesus. It's about people who don't know the Lord meeting the Lord. 
It's about people who are racked with brokenness and pain and horror and condemnation and who are slaves to sin. It's about those folks getting free in Christ. So whenever we talk stewardship and generosity and money, brothers and sisters, we talk about it not because we want some membership dues. We talk about it because we want hearts that are completely surrendered to God's purposes in the world. So in your, uh, in your bulletin is a little snapshot. If you got that, you may want to pull it out. We're going to talk about it for a couple of minutes. And uh, several folks in the church have helped pull this information together. Finance team has been meeting. Uh, stewardship folks have been meeting and crunching numbers and doing the work. And let me tell you, friends, I just want, I want you to say this because most of you aren't in these meetings. These folks work really hard. They're really sharp people. And you got the right people leading the way on this kind of thing. It's really a joy just kind of be in the room and, uh, and hear, you know, how do we organize the finances of the church for the mission? And that's the spirit, and I'm grateful for that. But I want you to see kind of how this breaks down. And uh, you can see there's a really big blue section. And the blue section is salaries. So we've got a full-time pastor, and we've got uh, a number of other part-time positions, children's minister, music, choir director, uh, music leader in the early service, youth ministers, children's ministers, secretarial, administrative assistants. There's a lot of people working on the project. Uh, and here's the thing. In church, it's not just a payroll. The question is, are we selecting people who are able and who desire to lead us in the mission that God has for us? So when Staff Parish Relations Committee gets together, if that term is unfamiliar to you, that's kind of the personnel committee. When that committee gets together and starts saying, all right, let's talk about job descriptions and let's talk about expectations and let's talk about fruitfulness and let's talk about goals and let's talk about salaries and let's talk about how we use our resources, the context isn't, well, how do we meet payroll? Pass the plate one more time. The question is, how do we fulfill the mission? How do we fulfill the mission? And can we make sure that we have the right people in place to do what God has called us to do? So that's what that 64% is about. And that may seem like a lot, <laughs> but it's not that much more of a percentage than what you would expect. As the other things grow, that part will get to be a smaller percentage. Then you get the red part. I'm kind of working my way around clockwise from there. The red one is worship and ministry areas. So there are furnishings that have to go into the worship service. Uh, there are age-level ministries, curricula that have to be purchased. Uh, we want our children to have what they need to be formed. We want our youth to have what they need to be formed in the gospel. We want our Sunday school classes to have what they need for the work of formation. So that piece of the pie, the red piece, represents all those formational classes and studies and all the things that we have to do in different ministry areas, 50 plus, all of it, that's, that's what that represents. 
And brothers and sisters, we'll never do the mission if we don't do the formation. If we're not grounded in the scriptures and deeply immersed in God's word to us, that pie is all about that, that piece of the pie is all about mission, isn't it? You can't do the mission if you haven't been trained, right? So that's what that's about. We are energized for mission in worship and trained for it in our formation classes. Then you got a green section. This is the part nobody likes. If you're a good Methodist, you heard about apportionments. <laughs> Bishops are calling it missional giving now because it sounds a little more, uh, you can sell that easier, can't you? But I wanted you to know what we're talking about, so I wrote apportionments on there because that language hadn't taken on yet. Now, we get grumpy about apportionment sometimes because sometimes we are not quite sure about where that money's going. And we've got, what is it, 24 thousand five hundred some odd dollars that we send to the conference uh, as a part of our shared mission with the United Methodist Church. Now, here's why we don't need to be grumpy about that. When I got to Mobile four and a half years ago, district superintendent told a story about how when he got there, and neither of us are there anymore, so there, that's the itinerary. When he got there, the director of the inner city mission came to him and said, hey, man, I can't make my payroll. What's the, you know, we got an issue. And the DS kind of got a little upset. He's like, you can't, well, what are you doing over there? Can't make your payroll. What are you spending the money on? And the inner city mission came back. It ain't about what we're spending the money on. We can't make our payroll because your churches aren't paying their portion." And that kind of crystallized some things for me. All those missions that the church is involved in, inner city mission in Mobile, Wesley Foundations, universities and colleges in the conference, Huntington College. I was chatting with one of the professors there recently. They depend heavily on the apportionment dollars that we share together in mission. Maryland's Hearth, those kinds of things that are in ministry with people who are in places of pain or who are in places where they need formation, that's the kind of stuff that happens with those dollars. So they are missional giving. They really are. And I know sometimes question, you kind of get higher up the chain of command, and sometimes we say, oh, we're not really sure about where that group is spending that money, and maybe we've got some questions about it. Well, let me tell you this, friends. Your leaders are in tune with those issues. And we've already had conversations about how we can be faithful to give what we're committed to give, our fair share, and still kind of hold the hierarchy accountable. It may mean saying, this general board isn't going to get any of that money. We're going to send it to the seminary students instead <laughs> so they can get out of seminary and go make minimum salary and not have any debt to have to pay. Have to pay. But there are ways where we can still give the full amount and register our concerns about things that may need to be registered. I commend the leadership of this church because your leaders are paying attention. And it's refreshing as a pastor to have leaders who are paying attention. So you can trust these folks. They're doing a good job, and they are paying a great deal of attention to these kinds of issues. I realize this is a different kind of sermon, but it's important to go through this kind of stuff. Don't expect this one to get too high on the podcast. <laughs> they won't have the handout. <laughs> After that is the purple piece of pie, maintenance and operations. 
This is building expense. I mean, you got to have insurance on your property, don't you? Now, here's the thing. It is easy to be tempted to think about property as, it's more, as, something, as something akin to a museum, something to be protected, something, you know, keep the coffee away from the carpet kind of thing. It's vitally important, brothers and sisters, for us to remember that this building is the staging ground for our local and global mission. Okay? We are not running a museum. And if somebody spills a little coffee, we'll rub it up and clean it up. It's all right. It's a mission. And mission is messy sometimes. And here's the thing. You didn't spend almost a million dollars in the last couple of years. $910,000 is how much this construction cost. Thereabouts. Because you didn't want people showing up and having a place to worship and stage the mission long after you're not here anymore. Am I right? You only spend that kind of money because you want it make an investment in the future because you want to leave a legacy because you want people who may not even be born yet to meet Jesus in these in these walls amen amen this is a mission and all the dollars in that purple slice of the pie insurance power bills all of the stuff is the staging ground for the mission of the church. Last slice. <laughs> we finally got to mission. <laughs> mission and evangelism. 5% of the budget. I hope you've seen that 100% of the budget is really about mission. The part that says mission and evangelism is where the mission committee and the evangelism team are actually doing those specific strategies to get out. And here's the thing, um, that's not counting the fundraisers that we're going to do this afternoon. So really, there's quite a bit more money running through the missions committee and going beyond the walls of this church to uh, the friendship mission to, to the men in the area to get teams on the field around the world. And here's the thing, friends, what I want you to see is that this is not, the budget is not a list of expenses. I've heard that language in church before. The budget, friends, is not a list of expenses. It is a snapshot of our missional priorities. And when we give to it, we are giving because we care about the mission. Very few people are going to get excited about keeping the lights on. Let's just be honest. <laughs> you know, pass the plate one more time. We've got to pay the power bill. That ain't the sign of a vital, healthy church. Let's change the world for the glory of King Jesus. I'll give to that. I'll give to that. Now, I want to offer you some encouragement as we look at this because the textbooks say you should expect a lot less. If you go to seminary, they tell you plan about $1,000 per average attendee. And if we were to combine our attendance and average it out over the last few months, we got about 161 people. Like 161.2 or something. 
I don't know. I haven't seen that point two person yet, but that's what it said. We got about 160 some people, and that means the budget ought to be worth about $160,000 a year. Well, you're pushing 290, and it's sustainable. And that means there's a lot of folks in this church who are more generous than the textbooks say they should be. Now, I'm not telling you that so you can go down to where the textbooks say you should be. I'm telling you that to commend you because it means that there are people here who care about the mission. And brothers and sisters, we can do a lot with that. We can do tremendous things when we care about the mission enough to give above and beyond. The question for us isn't can we get to the minimum expectation? The question for us is, what great thing are we going to do next? What's the next step for Hope Hall United Methodist Church? When can a congregation push it up over 300,000 and keep it sustainable? And as we grow, and it grows, what sort of things will the Lord Jesus Christ do if He's got a bunch of people whose hearts belong to Him? Because he doesn't need our money. That snapshot is a snapshot of our hearts. That's what Jesus cares about. That's why his body was broken. That's why he allowed his blood to be shed so that he could claim our hearts. So we're spending three weeks talking about generosity, stewardship, things like that started last week. If you missed that one, it's on the web. You can listen to it. Uh, and it may be helpful because it kind of frames up the whole project. That this isn't about paying dues or God getting his cut. It's about embodying the generosity of God as followers of Jesus. That's what, that's what it's about. Today, we're actually like bringing out the numbers and just talking about where, you know, you put it in the plate, where's, where's it go after that? Well, this is where it goes. These are the kind of things that it goes to. And there's more detail out there if anybody wants to see it. Next week is Commitment Sunday. And you may have already gotten in the mail a card. If you haven't gotten it yet, it'll probably be there on Monday. Commitment card. And we're going to bring those with us next week. And at the end of the service, as is the practice, we'll bring it down and offer it to the Lord. But it won't be about money, even though dollars will be on the card. When we lay it down, we will be remembering, this is about my heart. And this is about Jesus' mission.